0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Our sermon text today is from 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. And everyone who hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. It's a popular practice these days to take a letter or a picture and put it in the pockets of someone who has passed away inside their casket. Funeral directors will tell you about how this practice seems to be growing. If you press the funeral directors a little bit more, they'll tell you about some of the weird things that people put in caskets. For example, there was a person who once put a box of donuts inside the casket of their friend who passed away. Now that might suggest to you how the person died in the first place. There's another funeral director who would tell you that There is a person who put an entire accordion, an accordion, the instrument, an accordion, into the casket of a person who passed away. There's a lady in England that when her husband died, she had two cans of spray adhesive that the man would use every morning to glue on his toupee, and she put that in the casket, and whenever the man was cremated, the flames touched the aerosol canisters, and caused an explosion that dented the door and the furnace. But besides all the bizarre stuff, it's good to do these things. We Most of us don't pretend that the person who is deceased is going to take these items with them into the next life or it's going to help them on their journey after death, but it's more about a connection with that person. It's more about honoring memories. And so... It can be a good thing to write a letter or take a picture and put it inside of a casket. But we have a connection that's much, much deeper than even a letter or a favorite memory because we belong to the same family as those who have passed away. How great is the love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God How great is the love? How great is the love? Stop right there and think about it. We often talk about love in such sentimental terms, but if you want to ponder for a moment the greatness of this love, consider the lives of the saints who have gone before or even the saints who you know now, your parents, moms, and dads who believed in Christ and patiently changed your diapers day after day and put up with you throughout your teenage years with an infinite amount of love and understanding. Consider the saints who have given their homes for the sake of Christ, those who have been cast out of their families whose families won't even now mention their names for the sake of Christ. Consider those who have lost their jobs or have been cut out of society For the sake of Christ. And consider those who considered it nothing to even give their very lives. The life of a saint is a living response to the greatness of God's love. A saint knows that there is nothing they can do to compare to this overwhelming, massive gift of love that the Father has given to them, that they, the sinful people that they are, have been given the right to be called children children of God in first John chapter 3 verse 2 he says this beloved we are God's children we are now known by the love of God we who believe in Jesus are his saints regardless of how great or small our works are we are the children of God because of the love that he has given us and We are now known by that love. It changes our identity and how the world sees us. We are the beloved of God. We are children of God. We're no longer orphans. We've been brought into the arms of the Father. Orphanages typically get a bad rap, and that's a reputation that's well-earned in many cases. In orphanages, you often find stories of of abuse or children going without even the things that they need to live, food, comfort. But there's an orphanage in Honduras called SOS Children's Village that's maybe beginning to change all that. It's a remarkable group of homes that serve as an orphanage. When you walk by, you would just look and and think that you were seeing a residence or a row of residences. But inside of these homes are orphans. But as you go inside of the homes, you would find them, these orphans, these children sitting on the couch watching TV. Some would be in the kitchen preparing dinner. Some would be out back playing. These children go to school with every other child in the community. And sometimes they have sleepovers with their friends. These children have their own Space inside of the homes, if not their own rooms. But what makes the biggest difference, or at least what made the biggest difference to me whenever I, I found out about SOS Children's Homes, is that the people who work there, the employees, well, they live with these kids. And not only that, but the kids refer to them as auntie or mama. And the employees refer to the children. As me amour, my love, these orphans aren't really living like orphans they're living like family because of the bonds of love that have drawn them together and brought them in. and this is what John is referring to in first John chapter three. If we look backwards. From John from first John to the Gospel of John we would find that in first John or in John chapter 1 verses 12 to 13 John says this after declaring that Jesus has come into the world as this light that the darkness does not understand he says that in verse 12 those who received Jesus have been given the right to become the children of God and in verse 13 these children are not born of, of human will or descent but they're born of God. If we move forward a little bit into John's gospel and get to John chapter three, John chapter three, of course, is those is where Jesus makes that famous statement, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's chapter three, verse 16. Jesus says this in a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. And it's kind of a beguiling conversation. Earlier, Jesus says that if anyone wants to Enter the kingdom of heaven, they have to be born again. And then he elaborates on that by saying that they must be born of water and of spirit. So now let's put everything together. You have John that says that those who believed in Jesus were given the right to become children of God. Now, how did they become children of God? How did they become part of this family? They were born of God. Now tell me more about that birth. John chapter 3. That is a birth of water and spirit. John is using baptismal language to describe how one is adopted into the family of God. We are no longer orphans, but we have been washed by the waters of baptism and drawn into the family of our Father. Our God is a gathering God, an adopting God, a God who has room in his arms for you. There is room in his arms for prodigals and wanderers, for those who were baptized in the church, who were raised in the church, whose parents are wondering why they're not in church now. There's a story, of course, of the prodigal son, a parable that Jesus tells, and and it, there's a, a son who request for his father's inheritance before his father is dead. And that's kind of the scandal of the whole thing. But the father gives it anyway. He gives it to the son, all, all of his inheritance to the son. And the son goes and he squanders that money. But finally he comes to repentance. And when he returns, the father sees him while he's still a long way off. And runs to him, embraces him, kisses him, puts a ring on his finger and a new Cloak around his shoulders. And why does he do that? Well, one, because he deeply loves his son and he never has given up on his son. In fact, after contemplating the parable, you'd think that perhaps this father is looking down the road every day, hoping, if not even expecting, his son to return. There is room in the father's arms for those who wonder. There is room in the Father's arms for those who grieve. If all of our tears were to flow together somehow into one great and mighty river, they would would still not be powerful enough to sweep away the arms of the Father. So as we think about loved ones who've passed away, those people who've shaped us to be disciples, who, who have taught us, instructed us how to pray and who opened our eyes to this life-saving mercy of Jesus, it's okay to cry. It's okay to feel grief. There's room in the Father's arms for that. And there is room in the Father's arms for those who are angry. There was a woman whose husband passed away horrible and confusing day, she leaves, she's walking out of the hospital, and as she's headed towards the exit, she passes by a statue of Jesus. She stops, looks at it, and something inside of her just broke, and she puts her hands into a nearby potted plant and starts taking handfuls of dirt, and this Flinging it at the statue of Jesus, and she's shouting at Jesus, and she's yelling at him, and she's cursing. And the hospital chaplain is called. And he stands there and watches. And a person next to him says, Aren't you going to do anything? And the chaplain says, No. That woman is deep in prayer. There is room. In the Father's arms when you are angry, even angry at God. There is room in the Father's arms when you're suffering, when your pain has changed you so much that you don't even know who you are anymore. You don't pray like you used to. You don't hope like you used to. You don't feel joy like you used to. but God sent his son Jesus Christ to die and rise for you and for the sake of his son, God has made a covenant of love for you. When God looks at you, he doesn't love you because the way you used to pray or think or feel or speak, he loves you for the sake of his son Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's room in the Father's arms for those who don't even feel like they're the same person anymore. And there's room in the Father's arms for those who have betrayed themselves. We have an identity as children of God. We are his beloved, and yet so often we don't act like it. We call it stubborn sin, but who's being stubborn? The sin or you? And what John says is absolutely the truth, that no one who is a child of God can go on sinning. And at the same time, we know that heaven is full of saints who have fought and struggled and crawled their way over the dead corpse of their sinful nature while that dead corpse's hands, the old habits, the old nature has grabbed onto their ankles, tore at their skin and clutched at their hair. The journey isn't always pretty. But God rewards those who overcome and stay in the fight. There is room in the Father's arms for those who are covered in the shame of sin. Our God is like a great-grandfather in one sense. You know how it is especially if you are a grandparent when generations of, of family get together and, and they they gather in one home at, at one time and there's eager anticipation there's looking out the window and, and and cars honking in the driveway to greet one another before they even step outside and the and the door is flung open and and laughter and hugs and even tears are cried a meal is prepared and people are gathered There at the table, they enjoy one another, but no one enjoys it more than the patriarch or the matriarch of a given family. That is a joy that the Father has, even as he calls his saints home and as he leads his saints who are still living to himself. His desire is to place you in his arms and to treat you just like his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus died to sin just as you died to sin. Jesus rose to new life just as we will also rise to new life. Jesus has been given has been given glory and honor and we too will share in that glory and honor. Jesus is pure and free from all sin and evil, and so we also are being purified. The Father loves you just like he loves his son Jesus, and one day he will make us just as he is, because only in Christ can we find ourselves in the Father's arms, and only in Christ can we journey together the saints of his church through this valley of the shadow of death. Only in Christ can we stand as a people and give testimony to the world. Only in Christ can we gather together at this altar and revel in the mystery of how, whenever we gather together, we receive Jesus himself and the bread and in the wine. And wherever Jesus is, there are also those who have died in Christ. And so our gathering is a heavenly gathering and an earthly gathering. And only Jesus Christ can bring heaven and earth together. O mystic sweet communion, O fellowship divine. And only in Christ will we stand together with the entire church on earth. Of people from every tribe, language, nation, and race standing with Jesus Christ on the day of resurrection, living, loving, and lighting, living on a new heavens and a new earth restored fully, loving one another completely and freely, lighting as we shine with the God of glory. One day we will be reunited with those who have gone before, standing all together, made just as he is. Amen.